0: So as we begin, I just guess I want to ask a few questions to get us thinking and to make sure that we're all on the same page. So here we go. And feel free to audibly say yes or no so that we can all hear and get a sense of where we're all at. So number one, do you enjoy being successful? Yes. Okay. Number two, does it make you happy to see growth in areas of your life that are important to you? All right. Number three. Are you willing to work hard at something if it means that you will see improvement? Number four, does it make you happy when others affirm you for that improvement? Number five, does it make you happy to think about what it would be like to be one of the best at something that you really enjoy, such as a sport or a profession or a hobby? All right. (laughs) I'd say we're all on the same page, right? And I'll tell you right now that I would answer a great big yes to all these questions as well. And I know I'd say yes to just the overall concept of these questions. And if I pause for a moment also just to think about different stages of my life, I can come up with particular concrete examples of where I worked extra hard at things, put huge amounts of time into training and practicing, and in a sense became just consumed with becoming better and better. In high school, it was with music. I wanted to be the best trombone player in the world. And this driving that desire, it was magnified exponentially when I found out that if I did really well in a certain audition, that I'd be admitted into the top band, and that that top band would get to go to Disney World during spring break perform. I can't imagine how many headaches I gave my parents playing hours and hours and hours of practice. <clears throat> then when I got to seminary, I began making rosaries with pliers and chain and these glass beads. And I thought, you know, that they were just beautiful, and I would hand them out to people, and people were happy, but... After a while, I was like, you know what? I'm not happy with this. Forget these glass beads. It might cost more, but doesn't matter. I'm going to make it with crystal beads, right? Because they look even nicer. And that lasted for a while. But then after that, it had to be sterling silver chain because that would get even bigger reactions from people when they'd see it. Then finally, at the end of seminary, I got ordained. <clears throat> and my two big things since ordination have been running and golf. I'll follow training plans for running. I'll push myself to be faster and faster. Even if my legs are sore sometimes or I'm not feeling good, I'll still get out there for the sake of running longer distances. And the other priests here, they laugh at me because after a really long run, they'll see me come from the kitchen into my bedroom with large buckets of ice to plunge myself into an ice bath for the sake of a quicker recovery for my legs, right? Sacrifice. With the golf, it's never enough for me to simply enjoy a day at the golf course with a friend. If I know I'm gonna be golfing on a certain day, I have to get out to the driving range a couple of days before. Then the morning of that game, I have to get out to driving range again to perfect my swing. And then I have to get to the course at least 30 minutes before to work on my putting. All of these are small examples for me that I think to scratch the surface on my obsession of doing well, desiring to succeed, enjoying the fact that eventually someone will notice and affirm me for my performance. Now, I think all of us here have different personalities. We all have different temperaments that will change the degree to which these things are important to us. But deep down, all of us love being cherished, being accepted. And if we sense that being good at something will enable us to achieve this longing, then we're willing to work hard at it and maybe even sometimes spend lots of time, money, and effort to accomplish it. Here's a funny thing that I've come to notice recently. And it's the fact that there's one more thing that's extremely important to me that I spend a lot of time doing, but that doesn't seem to fit in the same categories of things that I've mentioned so far. And that one thing is working on my relationship with God. I can stand in front of you this evening and honestly tell you that I understand and acknowledge that the most important thing for me to succeed in and to grow and to seek to, to progress in is my relationship with God. Right? Growth in holiness and sanctity, my growth in virtue. But unfortunately, I cannot say that I strive to grow in this most important aspect of my life with the same fervor as I strive to run faster or longer with the same dedication in which I try to hit a golf ball perfectly straight. Now, this might seem shocking. I hope me saying this as a priest isn't scandalous. But my hope is that in pointing this out, that if you find yourself in the same boat, that together we can come up with a solution tonight. And At this point, I should clarify, I'm not saying that I don't care about this growth in holiness. It is my deepest desire. It's the thing that I want more than anything else. So too, at the same time, I will sit down and work up a training plan for holiness, just like I'll follow a training plan for running. My plan will consist of certain habits that I know I need to fix, or adopting certain disciplines that I know will enable me to function at a higher level and thus be more attentive to others. One example for me would simply be, let's say if I become aware of the fact that I'm tired a lot, that affects my prayer. If I find I'm falling asleep at prayer or if it affects my mood and I'm grouchy or grumpy with others, that's going to affect my relationship with God. So what's my simple solution? Go to bed earlier. Sounds simple, right? Another plan for holiness, cutting back on the things that I really enjoy in life that aren't sinful in themselves, but that I know distract me and draw away from my attention from the Lord. My key example here for me would be, maybe some of you could even say it right now, Sports. My love of sports. Are sports bad? No. They're actually really, really good. Especially if you're a Mets fan. Unfortunately, right? So I've already mentioned two things that would be on my spiritual training plan. Going to bed earlier, cutting back on sports. But guess what? I've known those things for years. And even though I know it'll be helpful for my soul and my quest for holiness, if I'm truly honest with myself and with you, I have to say that I don't carry out those things with the same diligence as I do with the other things in my life. Now, I don't know if you find yourself in the same boat, that you find it easier to do what's necessary to grow and progress in the things of the world than it is to grow spiritually. I think one very small litmus test, just one thing to consider amongst many, would be this. Do I routinely mention the same things over and over each time that I go to confession? With the intent of making a change, but then as time rolls past... In the end, I don't really make those efforts that I know I need to. And so, in the end, the next time it rolls around and I'm going through my examination of confidence, I'm like, oh wait, I'm mentioning the same things. Again, I don't know if you find yourself finding it difficult to make this progress spiritually, but if you do like me, why is it the case? And as I've reflected on this recently, I think I've come up with an idea as to why why this is. And it pertains to those questions that I asked you at the very beginning. See, the success, growth, and acknowledgement that tends to motivate a lot of our actions and our decisions. It's natural, right, because our hearts were made for love and acceptance. We all want to succeed. We all want to have growth. We all want people to notice this growth. But that success, growth, and acknowledgement, it doesn't show up in the same way as a spiritual life as it does with almost any other thing. And in fact, a lot of times we can put in a ton of effort spiritually, but on the surface, it doesn't really seem to get us anywhere. And I think the reason is precisely because as I mentioned ago a moment ago, it's natural to want to be successful in the eyes of the world. The spiritual life isn't natural. It's supernatural. When we see growth and progress in our skills and in our talents, other people see that and it benefits us. Growth in holiness, however, seeks to benefit God. It's a change in focus. Now of course, of course, if we do this, if we focus on God, of course it does end up benefiting us. But on the surface level, this growth in holiness and focusing on God actually requires us to deny ourselves and to put aside that praise and admiration of others. Jesus makes this abundantly clear. He tells us point blank, if anyone wishes to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And I think that that directive from our Lord Answers the question as to why it can be such a struggle to be dedicated in doing whatever is necessary and working really hard for growth and holiness. It's because putting in extra work in our skills and talents yields success and admiration from those around us. Whereas putting in that extra work in the spiritual life yields self denial, the cross, and oftentimes misunderstanding from others. In other words, both are hard both require perseverance and effort, but on the surface, one yields pleasure, whereas the other leaves you empty and exhausted. And just based on this, I think we can agree that subconsciously, it's a lot easier to move towards and be swayed towards pleasure than it is to move towards self-denial. And hopefully too, as I'm mentioning all this, we can begin to see that if we're too focused on gaining affirmation and fulfillment from the world around us, which I think we all do on some level, that can make it really hard for us to remain focused on God. Because we can't be primarily focused on ourselves and on God at the same time. Now one person who was caught up in this vicious cycle of striving for success and admiration was Saint Ignatius of Loyola. And his story, I think, can offer us some inspiration and a whole lot of hope. (laughs) See, Ignatius, he was a soldier in the Spanish army. He was great at what he did, he, had, he was a general, he had many men who served under him, and he had the ability to encourage them to fight bravely no matter what the odds were. And at one point, they were in the middle of a war against the French, and his orders were to protect a certain city to hold off any attacks that would come. Well, one day, there was a scout that came, a lookout, came running in and gave this horrible news that they were all terrified about, that there was a very large troop of French soldiers on their way to that very city that they were supposed to defend. From this information, they learned that they were heavily outnumbered, and as a result, every single general, except one, said that they should evacuate the city, fall back, and live to fight another day. Guess who the one general was who didn't agree with that? Saint Ignatius. And he was so convincing and so persuasive that he was able to convince all the other generals, no, it's a good idea for us to stay and to defend the city for the honor of Spain. <laughs> and in his mind, what was he thinking? The whole thing was if I win this battle against all odds, it will win me fame and fortune that has never been known before in all of Spain. And I think we can be assured those questions that I asked in the beginning, oh, St. Ignatius would have emphatically answered yes to all of those, right? And usually, Obviously, he's being very prideful at this moment. And I think we can say that most times when pride wins an argument over prudence, bad things are going to happen. And that's exactly what happened when the French arrived. Many soldiers lost their lives. It was a massacre. It was a complete disaster. And at one point during the battle, there was a cannonball that was fired. It hit Ignatius in the leg, and it, complete, it completely shattered his life, the bone in his leg. Later, when he was found by the French, as they were kind of cleaning through everything, they were merciful to him because of his high ranking, because he was a general. So they sent him to the French doctors, they set his leg as good as they, they could, and they allowed him to return home to an estate that his family owned. Shortly after this, as his leg was mending, he was told that the French doctors had not done a good job of setting the bone and that it was healing wrong it was revealed to him that, you know, from this point forward, after it heals, just so you know, you're going to have to walk with a cane and you'll kind of walk with a limp. Now, Ignatius was extremely prideful and extremely vain as well. So at that point, when he heard that, he ordered the doctors to re-break his leg in order to set it properly so that he wouldn't have to have that limp. Now, I should mention this took place in the 1500s. They didn't have the anesthesia that we have today, right? But still, he was willing to go through all that simply that way he wouldn't limp. So I hope this gives you an idea of what motivated Ignatius. He wanted fame, glory. He wanted success in all things that he did. Now, as you might imagine, waiting for your leg to heal and then rebreaking it and waiting for it to heal again without modern medicine, this is going to take a while. And as he laid in bed, he, he got bored. So he asked, he said, can you please bring me books with stories about, you know, knights and you know, this valentry and dragons and princesses with their hands to be won. And they said, sorry, we don't, we don't have books like that, but we'll bring you the books that we have. So they brought him books about the lives of the saints and books about the life of Christ. And at first he had no desire to touch these, but after weeks and weeks of having nothing to do, eventually he picked them up. <clears throat> Essentially, we could say a modern modern kind of uh, equivalent to this would be essentially it's like the Wi-Fi went out in his house, right? It's like, oh geez, what am I going to do, right? So at first it was difficult for him to read, but as he continued to read, he found that he in fact got some pleasure and joy from reading these stories. So from day to day, sometimes he would be reading stories about Jesus and the saints, and other times he would daydream about glory and knighthood and fame and fortune. And after a while, he began to take note of how he felt during these things. And he noticed that when he would think about knighthood and glory, that he'd be filled with pleasure and happiness, but that once he ceased to think about these things, that he felt empty and unfulfilled. On the other hand, he found that thinking about God and the saints, it was somewhat enjoyable after a while, but he found that after he stopped actively thinking about spiritual things, he remained content and filled with peace. There was kind of this this lasting effect And he reflected upon this, and the results of this reflection are what we now know today as St. Ignatius' teachings on the discernment of spirits, where he teaches that in all things we need to strive to understand if we are being led by the Spirit of God or if we're being motivated and led by the Spirit of the world. And he says this is so important because in the end, the Spirit of the world will leave us ultimately empty and unsatisfied. Whereas if we follow the promptings of the Spirit of God, known as the... Holy Spirit, he will lead us to be happy, content, and ultimately, even whatever burdens we do have, if we're carrying them with him, they'll seem light. And because of this, even though seeking holiness meant setting aside glory, Ignatius chose to change his focus and to strive, instead of knighthood, to strive for sainthood. And he did this because while it didn't give surface pleasure praise and admiration, it offers something deeper that was lasting and more fulfilling. So he left the army, even though they were begging him to come back after his recovery, he left the army and ended up founding a new religious order, the Society of Jesus. And I think if we were to put an image, just kind of something to to imagine, to kind of this whole thing, I think the image we could use would be that the glory that we get when we're concerned with progress in the world. And the same glory that we can be tempted to focus on, it's like pouring, it's like having a match. You have that match there, and it's like just pouring a ton of lighter fluid on that match. It flares up right away, it's impressive, it makes people ooh and ah and smile with delight. You're like, wow, that's amazing. But a couple of moments later, it's gone. Right, it fades away. On the other hand, if we use that same match and we light a coal with it, the results aren't flashy. A lot of people probably won't even notice it but it's going to hold that heat it's going to be more effective and it's going to have the ability to affect and warm and make a difference for anyone that comes near and that's what ignatius came to understand and that's what's just as true for us today if i briefly apply this principle to the examples of what i can get so caught up in i see the same results for example let's say that i'm going to go out golfing tomorrow Unfortunately, I'm busy, I'm not gonna be able to. But let's say if I were to go golfing tomorrow, and for the first time in my life, I hit a hole in one. I'm gonna be super, super excited, right? All of you would probably hear about it in a homily sometime, right? I'm gonna tell everyone about this, and I hit that hole in one. But later in the day, does that hole in one affect my life in any way whatsoever? Does it change the struggles that I have going on in my life? Does that hole-in-one make me a better person? No. It's not that hitting that hole-in-one would be a bad thing, right? It would be great, and it would make me really excited. But it's not lasting. There's, there's nothing there to set a foundation upon. So, too, would it provide more grace for somebody if they are praying on a rosary that they just got, that their rosary is made, the beads were made from Diamonds. And it is 24-karat gold chain. I mean, if they're praying on that versus just, you know, a little plastic bead rosary, are they going to get more graces off of that? No. Yet it's so easy for us to be consumed by these ideas. And it's like, it's like we're a hamster on a wheel, running, running, running over and over aimlessly to progress in these things or to obtain things for the sake of seeking joy. We're in the end, are running. we're actually running in the opposite direction of the Lord. The joy that's going to come from that whole in one, which I'll probably never get anyway, no matter how much I would practice, it just won't last. On the other hand, Jesus tells us in John's Gospel, he says, I chose you and appointed you that you might go bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then he says, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. What's the fruit that lasts? if not growth in the spiritual life, which is growth that's not on the surface, but growth that's deep down. Again, beneath that superficial surface, right? This true growth that gives us a share in the joy of Christ. That's joy that lasts. And I think keeping this in mind can help us to not just run after things because they provide this quick flash of pleasure, like light or fluid on a fire, but rather to choose to do things insofar as they lead you to God. Conformity with Christ has to be our goal. So hopefully this gives a little insight into why it's worth it to stick with the game plan for progress in the things of the Lord, even though its benefits are beneath the surface, and even though we might not see it right away. And it, it can be helpful to keep in mind that just like growth and progress in the things of the world take time, the same thing is true in growth and holiness. It can often seem slow. and We need to make sure that that we don't give in to discouragement. It's not like any of us can say right now, like, God, I want to be a saint. And we snap our fingers, and then we get discouraged if it doesn't happen, right? It's one day at a time, one step at a time. What we need is to consistently come to the Lord in simple prayer. And I don't just say come to the Lord in prayer. Come to the Lord in simple prayer. Prayer that's not based on emotion. Prayer that doesn't feel like fireworks going off. Simply bring yourself consistently into the presence of the Lord, just like we'll be doing in prayer in a few moments tonight. And remember also that unlike progress in the world and with other skills, prayer isn't about performance. It's not about getting a perfect score. We're not going to be graded on how we pray tonight. It's about deepening our relationship with the Lord. So too, I think it can be helpful to realize that I think a lot of times in the things that we do, those things that are out there that we try to do, what's the goal of that? That our heart is is yearning for acceptance, for affirmation, to know that we're loved. That's the goal, I think, of most of the things that we do. But in prayer, and in our relationship with God, no matter where you are, that goal is already accomplished right now. God loves you. God accepts you. God cherishes you as you are right now. So that goal, that's the goal, I think, of most things that we do, it's set. You've already had your goal. So rejoice in it. And I'd say with all this in mind, the final thing that I want to say is when it comes to discernment, Either what we're called to do day by day, or especially when it comes to vocational discernment. What is the plan that God has for my life? We need to ensure that in all things we're responding and listening to the Spirit of God, letting the Spirit of God lead us and not the Spirit of the world. In order to discover what specific purpose God has created us for, we shouldn't be using my initial list of questions as a benchmark for whether or not something is right for us. Right? Those benchmarks of, okay, do I like to succeed? Do I like to have people affirm me? Do I like to be better and better and have, be for? None of that matters for what it is that we're called to. It's not about what I'm able to do. It's what God is calling me to. It's about what leads me closer to God. In the little things, and also especially in the deeper things beneath the surface. For those of you who are here tonight wondering, what vocation has God placed on my heart? What am I created for? Know that that answer lies in the depths of your heart. Right? deep down. That answer lies in the movements of the Spirit of God that speaks to us in a deep and lasting peace. But the Lord is going to speak within that cold, that burns slow and steady. Right? The Lord is not in the lighter fluid. Right? It's in that cold, that slow, steady burn. We have to persevere and remain focused. At this point now we're going to transition into an opportunity to pray to be in the presence of our Lord, and really to give the opportunity to listen to the Spirit to speak in the depths of our hearts. Again, this is not about proving ourselves. It's not about gaining any sort of success. Christ has already won the victory, and he wants to share his victory with us tonight. We don't have to seek our own victory. He wants to share his with ours. So open up your hearts to whatever the Lord wants to speak to you tonight. And as we pray, ask God to reveal to you his plan for your growth and then ask him for the grace to carry it out.